Thank you for joining us today for our Restoration Church podcast. This is the first in our remix series, and it is talking about having intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. We hope you enjoy. In church, we're really glad you guys are here. We are really super glad you're here. All right, we really are. This is our official launch day. Um, we have been a team of about 35 people for the past two and a half years praying for this city and praying for you. You are not here by accident. You, are, you have been prayed for. You have been labored for. You are very important to us. You are not here by accident. And we want you to know from, from the Father's heart and our heart, we love you. Thank you so much for coming today. And we hope that we, you can become part of our family. Uh, we're not just a church. We want you to come to Restoration. We want you to come with us. We are a family on mission in the city. We want you to come with us. And so thank you so much for coming today. At Restoration Church, we believe that Jesus is in the business of restoration. We believe that he, is, he was sent to this earth first to restore our relationship with God and then to restore our relationship with one another, right? And our, our world is broken. We know that. We look around. Our bodies are sometimes broken. Our, our relationships are broken. And Jesus is in the business of restoring those. We say at Restoration that we believe that intimacy with God, a real close, tight relationship with God, comes as the body of Christ lives together and works out the one another text in the scripture. So there's 58 times that Jesus tells us, that the word of God tells us to love one another, care for one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. All those one another texts, when we live those out together in community, we start to see the hands and the feet. We hear the voice of God in our lives. And so we say intimacy with God through intimacy with each other. All right? But there's a problem that we're going to talk about today. And that is that there are a lot of barriers to intimacy with God. Right? There are a lot of barriers to intimacy with other people around you. And it's not that intimacy that you might think about. Right? I'm going to say that word a thousand times. It's going to sound funny because I'm Southern. But it's not that intimacy that you're thinking about. It's that tight, authentic, vulnerable relationship that we're all really craving. We crave it from our parents. We crave it with our siblings. We crave it with our best friend, with our spouses, with our children. It's that tight relationship where we can just be known and be loved for who we are and what we're struggling with, that we can suffer together, that we don't get judged, but we get helped. We get walked with in the midst of our suffering. But the barriers that exist to those are, are numerous, right? And I'm going to give you four, the, uh, four P barriers. You know, I'm a pastor. I've got to alliterate something. So these four P's that are barriers to intimacy. The first one is going to be preoccupation, right? So if you're taking notes, you don't worry about it. You'll remember these. Preoccupation, right? Sometimes we just get too busy to connect with one another. You might come home from work and you've got reports due or you've got a task at, at work and your wife says, how was work? And you're like, it was good, I gotta go do something. And it keeps us from connecting with one another. Preoccupation. Maybe you're a student, you got papers, you got book reports, you got 17 books to read if you're a college student for one class, right, in two weeks. You're like, you were overloaded and so you're preoccupied. So mom and dad or your friends might say, what's going on in the world? How, how was school today? And you're like, it was good. And that's all you get. Anybody, any parents ever get that from their kids? It's good. You know, it's like, because we're preoccupied, we got a lot of stuff on our mind. The second one is prejudice. We, we have a lot of prejudice in our life, right? We, um, and that's evident in our culture, right? It's huge in our culture right now. Whether it's racial, whether it's economic, whether it's even towards God, we have prejudice that keeps us from being in intimate relationships with God and one another, right? So think about it. You're riding down the road, you see the homeless guy on the side of the street with a sign. Do you think you might know or what you think he might be doing, right? And so maybe you wrestle in your mind, I can't, I can't give him money, he's just going to use it on booze. 
right? Or, oh, it's, it's not going to work out. I, I, I got to look the other way, right? We prejudge people. We prejudge people for a number of reasons. We also prejudge God, which is a huge barrier to our intimacy with him, right? So I've been struggling with cancer for six years. You know, it's like, and God hasn't healed me yet. He must not be good. He must not be loving. It's a prejudgment on God. And that, keeps a, that, that makes this barrier between us and knowing him and his love for us. Now, for all you married people in here, this is, this is a little, little side one. This is a two-part P, pillows and plastic, okay? Nothing says, I'm not interested in cuddling like a body pillow. Amen? <laughs> Nobody else? All right, so it's just like night is, you go, you tuck it in, you put the body pillow right there, you turn to the side, <laughs> you, you're out. You know, it's like, that is a barrier to intimacy right there, right? And plastic. I got CPAP. I, I, got, I got sleep apnea, right? That's right. I'm too fat to breathe at night. I get it. I, it's fine. Whatever. Like, so I forget to breathe, and so I got that little mask that sits on my face, and it makes me look like an elephant. It's got a long tube that connects the machine, right? Constant, and that's like, hey, babe, want to fool around? What? <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's a barrier to intimacy. It does not work, right? Pillows and plastic. All right. Now that you're all picturing me with an elephant mask on, bring it back in and hear this. Probably the number one barrier to intimacy with God and with one another is pride. It's pride. We're too scared to be known for who we really are. We don't, we don't want to let down the guards. We don't want to tell people our suffering and our struggles. We don't want to tell people what our sin patterns are. We don't want to be known. And we don't want to confess that to God. We want to say instead to God, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing the right stuff. I'm good. What's up, buddy? It's my son, Caleb. Yay. All right. Hey, buddy, mommy's back there, okay? We didn't plan this one. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Um, pride. Pride keeps us from being known by one another, and it keeps us from being known by God, right? It's not that he doesn't know what we're prideful about. He's very aware of it, but he wants us to let that guard down. So today I want to tell you a story about three guys that, that are introduced to Jesus. And Jesus takes that first barrier of pride, and he obliterates it. He just tells us we're not good enough, right? And then he introduces us to a guy who understood what not being good enough means. And then he shows us what, when we get that, how our lives get wrecked and remixed, okay? So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, you can turn it on. We allow you to use your phones in church. It's totally cool. Just put it on airplane mode. Um, go to your Bible app. Open up your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verses 18 through 19 when... This rich young ruler, this is our first guy that we're going to meet. Um, he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in 19, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except for God alone. And then he goes on and gives the rest of the explanation of what it means to not be good, right? So he says, okay, God, so you've heard it said, keep the commandments. You know, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, don't covet, honor your mother and father, keep the Sabbath. And the rich young ruler looks at him and says, I got that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done all those since I was young. I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I do the right things. I go to church regularly. I participate in nonprofits. I give $5 to the homeless guy. I walk little old ladies across the street. When mom's sick, I bring her chicken noodle soup. I'm good. I do all the right things. I got your back. And Jesus looks straight into his soul and says, I've got to tell you, you're not good enough. You think you are, but you're not. Let me tell you why. And he looks at him, and, he, and remember, he's a rich ruler, and he says, sell all of your possessions, give everything you have to the poor, 
and follow me. And what does the text say? He walked away disappointed because he was a very wealthy man. See, we, we want to bring to God with our prideful attitudes this resume of righteousness. We want to come to him and say, hey, look at all the good things I've done. Look, I'm good. I got this. I, I'm, I've got, okay, you tell me a law, I'll keep the law. You give me a rule, I'll keep it. You give me a task to do, I'll keep the task. But Jesus' answer to the question, what does it take to inherit eternal life, is not do more stuff, right? It's not do works. It's not increase your resume and make yourself look good. Because remember, the, the, the answer was actually the exact way he responded to the, to, the, to the question. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good but the Father. No one is good but God alone. That's, the, that's, that's what the rich young ruler didn't understand. He brought all his goodness to God and wanted to be accepted and have this eternal life given to him. He wanted to earn it. And Jesus said, you can't earn it. As a matter of fact, you think you've kept all the laws. I'm going to find the one thing in your heart you can't do. See, when we bring our resume to righteousness to God, he, he crucifies it on the cross. Right? The one evidence that none of us are good enough is this. Jesus died. If any of us could be good enough, the, the death of Christ was not necessary. The cross is, is unnecessary. God is a hateful, cruel God that killed his son if we can be good enough. But we can't. We can't be good enough. The cross will always be evidence that there's something we can't do to be good enough. Our resume doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. So we meet the second person. As Jesus is going to Jericho, we meet the second person. There's crowds crowding around Jesus. He's going into the city. And outside of the city, there's a blind beggar. Verses 35 through 45. We're going to be in 31. Oh, sorry, we're not going to be in 31 yet. In verse 38, we see this blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. He's cast out. The crowd's all in front of him. And he says, what's going on? You know, he can't see. He's blind. That makes sense. What's going on? And the people said, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And, oh, Jesus. I know Jesus. I've heard of Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's verse 38. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His name was Bartimaeus. We learned that his name is Bartimaeus. And see, Bartimaeus knew something that the rich ruler didn't know. He knew he wasn't good enough. Why, how do we know that he knew he wasn't good enough? Well, check this out. In the time, if you were sick, it meant that you were sinful. Right? I mean, if you, if you were lame, or you had leprosy, or you had blindness, or you were afflicted with some type of disease process, it wasn't because our bodies are fallen because of general sin. It was simply that you sinned. You did something. Or if you didn't something... Your parents did something, or your grandparents did something, or your grandparents' grandparents did something, and God was afflicting you because of the sin of your family or your own. That's how they understood that. That's the reason this God's outside of the city, right? The blind people didn't get to hang out inside the city because they were unclean. They were full of sin. They weren't good enough. And so they're cast out, and they're begging for food, begging for water, begging for alms, begging for something in order to survive because they know they're not good enough. And when this guy, Bart, We'll call him Bart for short. Bartimaeus, Bart. When Bart hears that Jesus is coming, he says something very telling about what he believed about Jesus. He called him the son of David. Why is that telling? That's Messiah language. That is not, not just Jesus, oh, you're from Nazareth, you're a good prophet. No, he says, Messiah, have mercy on me. See, in the Old Testament, one of the, the great prophecies is that when Messiah comes, the blind will see. The lame will walk. 
The afflicted will be, the, the, the captives will be freed. The poor will find refuge. Right? That was one of the great prophecies of Messiah. And when this guy, Bart, heard that Jesus was coming, he knew Messiah had come and Messiah was his only hope. And it wasn't just that he would talk to Jesus, it's that Jesus would show him mercy. See, we've got to get to that same place. We've got to get to that same place as Bart got. We've got to look at, and like the rich young ruler, we've got to realize we're not good enough. And then when we realize we're not good enough, we've got to get to the point where we cry out for the mercy of God. Because nothing we do is going to get us eternal life. So Bart places faith in Jesus. It's interesting. If you look on down at verse 42, Jesus comes to him and says, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. What was his faith in? Was his faith in Jesus' supernatural power? Or was his faith in Jesus' position as Messiah? He believed he was Messiah. He believed he was his only hope. He was the promise of God for that the blind would see, the lame would walk, the captive would be set free, and the poor would stop, the oppression would stop the poor. That was his faith in Messiah. What do we put our faith in today? Where do, where do we put our faith when we're struggling, when we realize we're not good enough, we cry out for mercy? What is it that, what, is, what, is, what, are, we, what are we supposed to focus our faith on? If you look up right after Jesus' interaction with the rich ruler, and right before Bart, we see in verse 31 through 34. Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written in the prophets about the Son of Man will be filled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him. They will insult Him and spit on Him. They will flog Him and they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise again. Y'all can say that a little bit more enthusiastically, right? On the third day, he will rise There you go. So listen, Jesus is telling the prophecy of himself. He, he, he interacts with these rulers and he says, see, you're not good enough. Let me tell you how I'm going to make you good. You want to know how to internal, have eternal life? Watch what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. I'm putting myself in your place. Bart got it because Bart knew the Old Testament prophecies. He knew who Messiah was. He knew what he was going to do. So his only hope was mercy. That was it. So when we put our faith in that work of Jesus, that He took the cross for us, that He stood in the gap and where our sinfulness made a big, huge barrier to intimacy with God, and then the cross of Jesus crushed that barrier, put it away. And we put our faith in that work, in Messiah's work, we're made well. We have eternal life. And when we get that life, when we get that intimacy with God that is impossible on our own and through our own works, it wrecks us. It should tear you apart. It will totally remix your life. So Luke, knowing we needed to know what happens after faith, tells us about Zacchaeus. Right? Look in chapter 19. In chapter 19, we see the story of a little man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is, uh, this is 1 through 9, I think. Um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is a filthy crook. He is hated. He is unloved. He's not good. Right? Straight up. He knows he's not good. You know why he knows he's not good? Because Jesus is coming through Jericho. And where is he? The back of the line. Right? I mean, the whole crowd is in front of him. And he's trying to squeeze through. And they're like, man, get off. Go. Go away. And that's probably about the height of his head. Because right? he was a wee little man. Right? So go, go away, Zacchaeus. Go away. We don't want you. You don't need Jesus. You're fine. We hate you. 
you stole from me. Right? They got problems with Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is determined he wants to see Messiah, right? He wants to see Jesus, he wants to see what's going on with this prophet, this guy that's coming around and healing the blind and, and making the lame walk. He wants to check him out. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go climb a tree. I'm short. That's what we do, right? We climb trees. Anybody? Amen? That's what I do. Climb a tree, right? I mean, stand on stilts. Get a box. Whatever. You've got to get over the tall people, right? Maybe you're in here and you're like, I can't see the words up there. Well, stand on the chair next week. You know what I mean? Like, you've got you to gotta improvise. So he climbs a tree and he looks up and Jesus is walking through and he looks up and he sees him. He says, what are you doing? Get down. Let's go to your house. I got, I got, I got to stay with you tonight. And what you don't realize is that was very taboo. Okay? One, a holy prophet, this guy Jesus, that the crowds are coming around, right? They didn't all understand that he was son of God, but they didn't understand how holy he was. But this, this, this prophet guy talking to a tax collector, a sinner, a crook, and saying, let me go and stay in your house, you don't do that. You don't mess with that. You know why we know we don't mess with that? Because if you look back up in Luke, right, right before Jesus interacts with this, the, the rich young ruler, he tells the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee is in the, in the temple and he's saying, Lord, God, thank you that I'm not like all these other people. Right? Thank you that I'm, I'm not a robber or an adulterer or a thief. And I don't lie to my parents. Thank, thank you I'm not like all these people. And even thank you that I'm not like this horrible tax collector. Even thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Right? He ranked robbers and adulterers and liars and killers above tax collectors. Right? His last, he's like, oh yeah, and if, as long as I didn't cover all the bases, that guy. Zacchaeus. And then the tax collector says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? And we see the drastic difference of knowing pride, that barrier of pride, and the, and the beauty of humility, right? And the beauty of coming down and breaking that barrier. So we got Jesus, he comes into this house, and he doesn't just come into the house, he's staying with him. So you know what he did? He did the most intimate thing you could do in Old Testament times, in New Testament times, in the Bible times. He ate dinner. You don't eat with people that are sinners. When you're, when you're, when you're a rabbi, when you're a teacher of the law, when, you, when you're a prophet, when you're the guy... You don't hang out with the sinners. You definitely don't go eat with them. So what did he ask Zacchaeus to do when he came down from the tree? He asked him to be in a relationship with him. He wanted to have an intimate time of relationship with him. And it messed Zacchaeus up. It tore his brain up. He flipped, right? He gets up and he says, okay, 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 I get it. God, you're good. I love you. Uh, and Jesus is sitting right here. I'm being shown this great mercy. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm flipping out. So much so, I'm taking half of my wealth, I'm giving it to the poor. The rich young ruler couldn't even do that, right? He, he can give up anything. But Zacchaeus is all messed up by this intimate relationship with God. I'm taking half of my wealth, I'm giving it to the poor. And then, what I've got left, everyone that I defrauded, everyone that I stole from as a tax collector, I'm paying them back fourfold. His life got radically remixed. He got messed up. And as a result of his intimacy with God, he began to have intimacy with his neighbor with others, right? Like, there was that restoration of relationship between Messiah, God, Jesus, and then people around him that he had defrauded, that were his enemies, that kicked him in the back of the line, that hated him, that prayed, God, thank you, I'm not like Zacchaeus. It remixed his life. Over the next couple of weeks, we at Restoration Church, we're starting this series. Today is the first day for remix, and we're going to study what does it mean for our lives to be radically remixed by an encounter with Jesus, 
When we have this new relationship with Jesus, when he calls us not enemies of God, but sons and daughters of God, when he calls us friends of himself and not mortal enemies, right, because of our sin, when he brings us and he changes us, he flips us upside down by the mercy and the grace he shows us that we receive through faith, what happens with the rest of our life? So we're going to start studying what does it mean in our prayer life? How do we relate to the Father now? How do we pray when our lives have been wrecked by the gospel, the good news? What does that mean for our relationships with our parents and our, and our children and our friends and our siblings? What does it mean? How, how are our lives supposed to be different? It obviously messed up Zacchaeus. It's got to mess us up too in some way. What does it look like? What does it mean for church? What does church now take on in light of the gospel? Is it a place you come, you sing some songs, you drop a check, you all wave and you smile and you kiss the babies and you leave? Or is it something totally different? Is it now the living body of Christ that we walk in intimacy with so that we can experience the living God? What does the church mean now? And then what is the purpose of the church? How does our mindset about missions get remixed? What does it mean to be a people on mission? Is missions just for those select few super Christians that we send as missionaries? Or are we all missionaries? Are we, are we sent to this city, to Durham? Are you sent to your neighborhood and your workplace? Has the gospel radically remixed your idea of what it means to be on mission for Jesus? We're going to talk about that. But what do we do today? So what, right? Cool story. Three guys interact with Jesus, different things. One walks away disappointed. One cries out for mercy and receives life. And then one is radically remixed and, is, and changes all of his relationship with the people around him. What do we do today? Well, like Bartimaeus, some of us need to realize we're not good. Some of us just need to get there. Like the rich young ruler, we need to face the fact that our resume of righteousness is not good enough. We've got to come to that realization. I don't need God, I'm good. No, that's not true. God will always find the thing that makes you not good. He'll point it out to you eventually. And the quicker we come to that, the quicker we break down that barrier of intimacy, the quicker we get to know the life-giving Jesus. Some of us need to be like Bart. We just need to cry out for mercy. Maybe you're in this room today because you came to check out this church. You want to know what we stand for. What are we about? We met a lot of people at the farmer's market that were kind of hostile to us, right? I mean, they were like, oh, well, you must hate gay people because you're a Baptist church. Okay, would you like a bottle of water? You know what I mean? Like, there was, there was a lot of hostility. Oh, well, you must not like women preach. Okay, would, we just want to love you and serve you. We'd like to have a relationship with you. They were hostile. And some of you probably came today. You, you saw on the website, you checked it out, and you're like, I wonder what these people are about. Let me tell you what we're about. We're about Jesus. That's who we're about. We're about the Jesus that breaks down barriers, brings us into relationships, and then changes our lives forever. And that love, that radical love, that radical mercy and grace is what we want to take to this city. And some of us have got to start today receiving that grace through faith. I'm not going to tell you how to pray a prayer. It's your prayer. It's your confession of faith that Jesus is Messiah, right? But when you get to that point in your life where you're like, I'm not good enough and I need the mercy of God, tell him. It's very simple. Talk to him. Tell him, God, I'm not good enough. I know that you give me your goodness when I put my faith in the work of Jesus on the cross on my behalf. And so today I do that. I give you my life. I take on the righteousness of Christ because he did that for me. I put my faith in Messiah, not in my resume. I hold up Jesus' resume, and I put my hope on that one, not on my own. Make that confession of faith. Maybe you want to do that right now. Talk to God. You don't have to wait till the end of service. You don't have to wait till the music come on. Just decide, 
I'm not good enough and I need the mercy of God. And tell him that. And then some of us need to be like Jesus, right? Maybe that's our application. We need to stop thinking about missions as being something that we do as a project and we need to start living it in our life. Jesus met the first guy on the side of the road. Are we ready to have those gospel conversations on the side of the road? Are we ready to go out to those blind, outcast, homeless, drug addicts, single moms, the people who nobody wants to be around or judges? Are we ready to go to them and show them the love of the gospel like Jesus did? Are we willing to have dinner with the Zacchaeuses in the city of, of Durham? And not, not just invite them to our house, to our safe place, but to go to their house and eat with them and love them and move towards them with the mercy and the love of Jesus. That's our application point. Be like Bart. Be like Zacchaeus. Radically remix your life or be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. We're going to have a time of, to worship and respond. All right, band's going to come up. They're going to play. Um, reflect on this. We, want, we at Restoration Church believe that God has sent us to this city. I mean, yes, there is a global impact that we're going to reach, but ultimately our, our, we've been sent to this city. We're missionaries sent here. And we want to go with the hope of the gospel, that Jesus that gave his life. And we would love for you to come with us. If you're visiting today, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for checking us out. If you haven't gotten a first-time guest gift, we just want to say it's a small gift of hospitality to say thank you. But we don't want you to start coming to Restoration Church. Let me say this really clear. It's not about amassing numbers. We want to invite you into a family of God that's on mission for God. And we don't want you to come to us. We want you to come with us. We want you to come with us. Let's pray.